I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the Artist Business Plan. My name is James Milley, and I am the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you probably know, we are also the top online business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing of art. Today, I have some exciting news to share with you about this very podcast. You are now among over 5,000 unique listeners to the Artist Business Plan every month. I don't even know when that happened, but it's so exciting. And even more so, now there are over 70 countries where artists are listening in, and that is growing every week. We really genuinely love connecting with you and providing support and guidance to artists and professionals around the world, but we need your help to make us the number one art business podcast out there. After you listen to this episode with the incredible Marina Granger, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. That helps business-minded artists just like you find the artist business plan and benefit from our and our guests' amazing advice and perspective. All right, and now back to the fun part. We are here today for the second time with Marina Granger. Marina Granger has nearly 15 years of experience working in the New York City art world. She holds a master's degree in art history and a special place in her heart for artists. She has curated independently and contributed to various publications. She is also the founder of the Artist Advisory with the purpose to demystify the art market and offer support, guidance, and honest answers to enable artists to take their careers to the next level, which obviously we can get behind with Superfine. Her work has brought her in close contact with a plethora of players in the art world, artists, collectors, curators, dealers, and consultants. Welcome back to the show, Marina. James, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be back. And that was such a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. Of course. And this is a podcast, so you can't see the smile all the way across my face. But anytime I talk to you, I just have the biggest smile on my face. Before we get started, Marina, uh, last time we asked you, what was your earliest memory of art, which we love asking our guests. So since you're coming back for the second time, now we'd like to know what was a profound experience that you had viewing an art piece that sticks with you to this day? I was definitely over 18. (laughs) (laughs) because I was drinking in Europe. (laughs) But I remember that. I went to the Prado in Madrid, and I stood next to a painting that I love so much. It is Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights. And let me tell you, I have seen this painting so many times in pictures, but that was the first time I saw it in person. I was blown away at the scale. I somehow did not expect it to be as medium-sized as 
it was, you know, it wasn't exactly huge, but it wasn't exactly small, but the work was so detailed. So in reproduction, I always thought of it as either really, really big or really, really small. And you didn't even think about the size. Of course, I memorized the size because I had to write the size down on my art history exams. And I really love to memorize numbers, but <laughs> it was just the scale of it. And the brush stroke was nearly invisible. I can't imagine going through and making a work of art like that. And it just, there were so many things I was thinking about. And this is such a good question because I think, okay, we saw this in pictures so many times on a two-dimensional flat surface. And that's what we do now when we look at images on the internet and how different is the work in person. And would I have thought the same thing had I watched many videos of the work? For any of you who aren't already familiar with the piece, you should definitely go look it up. You can just look up Bosch Garden of Earthly Delights. This is a piece I've seen so many times being reimagined in contemporary art. I'm just thinking anytime someone you know goes and sees the Mona Lisa at the Louvre and it's like, oh, wow, that's so small. I think that's just a testament to how important it is to see art in person you know, as much as we love digitizing the art world and social media websites, we're all for that as well. But there's just something about seeing art in person that's so special. Did you get an A plus on the paper? or uh... <laughs> When it came to art history, I was a straight A student, except on my very first art history paper. <laughs> and I got very creative on that paper. Uh, you know, and now I have friends who teach art history, so I'm afraid to even tell them what I said I think I was writing about. But I'll tell you all because, you know, no judgments here, right? And it's hilarious. So I was writing about a personal altarpiece from the 16th century. And when it was closed, it looked like the Virgin and Child, you know, so it was a sculpture of the Virgin and Child. And when you opened it, there were scenes from the Passion of Christ on the wings. And in the center, I believe it was just Christ on the crucifix. And these types of statues were, there were so many of them because they were so common. And there's one here at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And so I wrote in my paper, and I hope you're all sitting down or not. Don't take that sip of water because I don't want you to choke. Um, (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, you're ready. And this is my first ever in history paper. I'm 18 writing this or 17 who knows and I say well clearly this must have been a time capsule and because they wanted us to find it and it was probably buried and that's why all the paint is gone from the surface of this sculpture (laughs) wow (laughs) anyway uh, that is not why I got a D on that paper (laughs) Let me tell you, the reason I got a D on that paper was not because my paper was terrible, but because I did not know that you could not quote directly from a secondary source. So I quoted directly from a writer who was writing about this in support of my Uh. profound argument, and I got a D. But It was such a learning experience, and I got to say, it was very humbling. But going forward after that, 
for, I guess it was like eight years after that, because four years of college and then graduate school, I got straight A's in art in art history classes. So <laughs> I guess I'm redeemed for that one D. I generally got straight A's in school. And I think that the most valuable times were when I didn't, because it just sort of whips you into shape a little bit, you know, reminds you that, you know, things aren't always easy and gets you out of this comfortable place and, and, and makes you like dig a little deeper. So I, I go you. <laughs> I, I concur. Let's go ahead and dive into the rest of our questions that we have for you. The last time that you were here, we discussed imposter syndrome, branding as an artist, and so much more. Uh, and also for all of you listening, if you haven't already heard that episode yet, go back now and listen to it. Just look for Marina's name and then come back. We'll still be here. We're This is a recording. We're not going anywhere. We're going to pick up where we left off and level up, so to speak, as you do with your artist, Marina. First off, I want to start with artists having a growth mindset as opposed to imposter syndrome. What do you think is the first step or any useful exercises for changing your mindset and allowing for growth and abundance as an artist? When you have this feeling of being an imposter, you think that you're not enough. You think that you haven't reached whatever marker you need to reach to be enough. The beautiful thing here is that if you feel this way, you already know what it means to be enough. And that makes you enough. Also, you already know how you would like to grow to get even better. So all you need to do is grow to allow yourself to grow to get to that level. And if you beat yourself up, you're never gonna allow yourself and give your space, yourself the space to grow. I think that's beautiful. And I think every artist should have exactly that mindset. Again, just to recap what Marina said, if you already are aware that there are certain steps that you need to take to grow, you're already enough because you're on the right path. So don't ever think that you're, you're not enough or that you're not ready because being in that mindset already, you're going to be taking those steps that will get you where you want and need to go. You're probably already for whatever it is you think you aren't, whether it's an exhibition or whether to reach out to a certain person that, you know, you might think that you need to, to grow more, just do it. I mean, you're, you're, you're totally ready. If someone is a real imposter, they don't know that they're an imposter. If you're starting to feel that imposter syndrome, it's just a sign that you already know what it takes and you have what it takes. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's almost like someone who is questioning if they're considerate enough to other people. If you're thinking, am I considerate enough? You're considerate enough because you're having the thought. So it's like, you know, the thought itself cancels out the possibility that you're not already where you need to be. If someone is totally a, a jerk and isn't going to be thinking of people enough. They're not even going to be thinking like, oh, should I be a nicer person? So yeah. my next question I have, at what level in an artist's career, are they ready to work with you as an artist advisor? And how can an artist get there? I think that's a nice seg from that first question. 
Wow. So I work with artists in all levels of their careers. Right now, I work with an artist who had a solo show at the Whitney and is really established, right? But I also work with artists who just decided to become artists, right? Who just took the leap and maybe have 15 works of art or less under their belt. I work with artists that want to produce and produce work. My only criteria is that you are ready to work with me. You are ready to make the changes that need to be made. You're ready to amplify whatever needs to be amplified and that you're consistently producing. I work with artists in a group setting in my uh, signature program called the Artist Academy. And I work with only two artists at a time in a one-on-one program. So they don't work with each other. I work with them uh, for three months at a time and I meet with them one-on-one. And that program I call the VIP program. It depends where you are in your career and how much time you want to put into everything and how much dedication you want to put into everything. Then you decide how you would want to work with me. I guess we would decide it together. Yep. And, you know, that's honestly a question that I get from artists a lot as well when I'm talking to them about Superfine is just, you know, hey, am I established enough for this? And with Superfine too, we have artists who have been exhibiting their art for decades, and then we have artists where it's their first exhibition. Honestly, I I would say it's the same for you, but, you know, being involved, whether it's with the artist's advisory or, you know, being a part of your artist academy or exhibiting in Superfine, you are entering our universe, so to speak, or our our uh, playing field. So, you know, there might be some things that are unique, even if you've been involved for, for decades in your artist career. So it's just a matter of being open to what we're offering and being ready to, to like grow and move forward. So I think that's really awesome. Based on what you've just said, I would say that being open and ready to adapt is something that you look for in terms of the artist clients that you work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because sometimes there are artists that uh, come to me and they want me to make the changes for them. And here's the thing. I cannot make the changes for you. You have to want to make the changes. And I know that sounds very coachy, but you know how you do one thing is how you do everything. So whether it's updating your website, whether it's following up on a sale, whether it's doing a studio visit with a an artist or a nut or a gallery director, then the way you do those things, which are very concrete, are also the way you do everything else that might be a little bit more intangible, like your mindset and how you think about things. So really being proactive is going to get you so far. I could not agree more. That actually leads me nicely into my next question, Marina. You have a four-step process that you go through with your artists. Would you be able to give us a preview of that for the artists listening? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. 
it depends on how deeply you want to go into it. But if you're thinking, okay, I'm ready for the next big thing in my career, I'm ready to be proactive about my career, but you don't know where to start, this method will help you. So my four-step method is as follows. The first thing is you want to identify your intention. It's not just your intention that about your business, right? But it's your intention around your art because your intention is the why behind why you are doing something. And as an artist, you are asked to balance these two very different parts of your mind, the business side, which is totally different from the creative side. Although sometimes there could be a very beneficial crossover where you get very creative with your business and do something wonderful. But you want to set the intention for your business. What do you want for yourself? Do you want visibility? Do you want sales? Do you want to build a legacy for yourself? And then you will figure out a strategy of how to go about this. And secondly, you want to have that intention that is clear behind why you are making the work you are making so that you don't trip up, so that you don't pause and ask yourself what to make next, so that you are clear about why you are making something and you are clear about what your brand is, right? That's the very clinical term, brand. But (laughs) the nice soft art term here, is the intention behind your work. So start out with that. That's number one. Number two is your mindset. You're never going to get anywhere if you think you're never going to get anywhere. (laughs) You know, your mind is very malleable and it believes everything you tell it. For example, if you tell your mind you're exhausted and you're tired, you're going to feel exhausted and tired. If you tell your mind that you have all the energy in the world, that, you know, you're ready to go for a run, you're going to go for a run. If you tell your mind that you want, you are ready to show your work, right? You're ready to sell your work, that you will sell your work. Your mind will believe you and it will create micro actions for you about how to make this happen right? Because your mind has been made to find a way out of any situation. That's how we've survived from being like cave people to us now, right? Figured out how to make do of any possible situation. And similarly, back when we were cave people, we were always prepared for the worst case scenario, because we wanted to be sure that nothing was going to come as a surprise, that we were going to be able to have enough food, have enough shelter and everything. So that is why our mind tends to focus on the worst case scenario. But I'm going to tell you this. You don't have to be, uh, you know, an unwavering optimist. But if you're going to think about the worst thing that can happen, please think about the best thing that can happen. It's only fair. And the other thing, and this comes to feeling that really crappy feeling when you get rejected. Back when we were cave people and we got rejected, you know, you could not survive on your own out there. You needed the shelter that your community was going to provide for you. You needed the shelter 
the community was so, so important. So now when we get a rejection, we feel like we've been excluded from community. And our primal part of our brain, our amygdala, thinks, oh my gosh, I'm going to (laughs) die. But that's not true. Okay, you are part of a beautiful community. And as artists, I really think that the best thing you can do is tune into your community uh, to uplift your mindset and support the other artists around you. Trade studio visits, talk to each other. It's really there in your community. So that's two, right? Intention, mindset. The next thing is once you've nailed down your intention, a positive mindset, The third thing is to create a beautiful presentation of your work. So you want to make sure that when you're confident, you're putting your work out there in a way that serves it. So think of your work, and this is where we get clinical again. Think of your work as a product, right? How do you want to merchandise it? What do you want it to look like? Do you want your work to be shown at a blue chip gallery Well, show it (laughs) as if you were already in a blue chip gallery. In other words, if you are showing your work as if it was a product on display at Target and you want your product to be on display at Neiman Marcus or whatever other fancy department store there is, and I guess Neiman Marcus went out of business, I don't know. But the idea is you want to make it look like you're in the fancier department store. And how do you do that? Look at what artists are doing when they're on that level and what part of that can you recreate? That's where you use that creative side of your brain for your business. And the final step of this, right? Now that you are clear in your intention, you're positive in your mindset and your presentation is top notch, you wanna take some action so that you can let the universe give you what you want. And that action could be anything from engaging on social media with someone to selling a work of art out of your studio, to deciding that you want to have a booth at Superfine, to taking that leap. So that's it. That's my four-step method. Intention, mindset, presentation, and action. I love it, Marina. And I I would say that the order there is very important. I mean, it kind of sounds like you can't really go to number three before doing one and two and and so forth. You know, you want to identify your intention first, the why. I would say that that's pretty easy to overlook. I mean, it's such a simple question, but it's so integral to what you're doing. I mean, if you're just going forth and you just think that, I mean, you're, you're just doing whatever you think that you should be doing based on what you've seen other people doing. I mean, you're kind of missing that first step of like being really confident in actually why you're doing it. So I think that that has to come first with the mindset. Number two, I mean, you know, having that can do attitude, it's not the only thing that you need to do, but if you skip it, then it will sabotage you and you will, (laughs) you, you you'll inevitably fail just because you didn't have the right mindset. Um, doesn't mean that you, don't need to also do the work, take the action to, to get where you want to go, but you have to start with that mindset first. And then the beautiful presentation of your work for number three, I mean, I would also put into that just having a confidence of what it is that you're offering. I mean, like you said, if you 
want to, you know, have your product in Neiman Marcus or Target, you know, you want to have your work reflect that. So it's clear when you're face to face with that opportunity, your work matches up. And I, you know, I was talking with an artist earlier today and, you know, they were in a position where, the, you know, they were under selling their work. They, they were um, uh, undervaluing it in terms of the price, just being really confident and knowing that the price that you have your work at is correct and accurate and what it should be based on other artists around you, based on what you've sold for. Having that confidence is what is going to enable you to be able to go to someone and say, yes, my work does cost X, Y, Z. And they're not going to question it because you are presenting it in that way where it is like your work is meant to be that. Same with however it is you're presenting every other facet of your, your art business. And then lastly, action, of course, but you can't do the action until you have that intention, that mindset, and that presentation all put together. Marina, I love that. I think anyone could follow that and just, you know, immediately be in a better position than than without it. So I love yeah. that. I'm glad you're into it. You know, you're kind I'm of so good. <laughs> you're such an expert. And then on top of that, you're an artist yourself. So I'm really, you know, I'm like, oh, I hope James likes what I'm saying. <laughs> you're my barometer here. So Marina, you always have James's stamp of approval. You're <laughs> you're on fire. <laughs> That's for my website. <laughs> Your main testimonial on your website, James approves of me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, Marina, we actually have a question from one of our listeners. It's uh, from, this is a, an Instagram username, so I don't want to mess up the spacing, but I think it's Nikki Sevier Vuyk, V-U-Y-K. And she would like to know about how an artist can DIY their own public relations for their art. And I guess just to add to that question, how could an artist DIY their own marketing? I'm sure you have some uh, some insight there. Oh, what a fantastic question. It depends um, what you're marketing. And so the first thing is you want to figure out what you're marketing. And do you have an event that's coming up? Do you have an exhibition? Are you in a group show? Or are you just trying to get your work out there? And if you are just trying to get your work out there, why would you get it out there? Do you want to sell it or do you want to show it? Right? So the first thing you got to figure out why you're doing it because you're going to have different steps for different things. Let me tell you what you would do. And this is a question I get all the time. Like, let's say you have your work that's, it's going in an exhibition and you want to get some publicity for it. You want people to see it. The number one way that you can easily get people to see it is through social media, right? So you want to be sure that you're showing it, that you're using every aspect of social media and really balancing what you're doing. So I'm going to give you some tips. So on Instagram, there are two easy things you can do. One right now, and you should do reels that show us your work in a form of a video. So we see what it feels like to be around it, right? So whatever thing you can think of, because that will get new eyeballs on your work. And the next thing is 
you can find a collection page or an influencer page that has work that's similar to yours and you would get them to post your work for maybe 10 or $20 and you get new eyeballs on it, right? Some collection pages have, you know, like a million followers, so they're going to cost a little bit more, (laughs) but you want a collection page that has, you know, over 50,000 followers or something like that. So that's one thing. But second thing is you could put together a press release and you can do it all over. I mean, a press kit, actually, not just a press release. So press kit would have images, a press release, a bio, and any press that you may have received in the past. And you would send it to the editors of the the publications that you want to be featured in. But also, let's say you have an exhibition coming up. Uh, See, Google the space where you had the exhibition and see who wrote about it in the past, right? Who wrote about, who reviewed a show there? If you can, find their email address. You can, I'm sure you can figure out how to find someone's email address. (laughs) Google is a wonderful tool. Find their email address. Send them a link to your press kit with a personal note that says, hey, I see you reviewed an earlier exhibition at the same space and you want to name what it is, make it personal and say, I really enjoyed that review. I would love to invite you to see my exhibition and here it's going to open up on this and that date and here's a link to the press kit. I look forward to hearing from you. Because there you have that connection. Even if you don't have any press in the past, that institution might have. So you always want to make that, if you want to get any press, you want to find that personal connection and get creative with your press kit. And you can Google how to put together a press kit. But the basic components are really your press release, images of your work with a list of the captions that they would use in their publication, and also a bio, right? And if you have any press, add that too. So you could do that on your own. And let's say you are not having a show, but you want to get your work out there. You want an article. You want to get some publicity. You can find a timely reason to write about your work. In other words, create a connection between what's happening now and your intention, the intention behind your work. And then you can Put together a press release and send it to writers who write about art. And when they're writing about art, you want to make sure maybe there are certain topics they always like to write about. Maybe they consistently write about artists who are not necessarily having a show, but the work is timely, right? Then you can say, hey, I really love your article about that artist who was writing about Uh, Oh, who is making paintings of masks during the pandemic. I would love for you to look at my work because it relates, you know, this event that's happening now to something else. You know, it, it, it relates with this event that's happening now. And here's a link to my press kit. So that is how you DIY your publicity. I think that's such a really poignant response to Nikki's question. Uh, Thank you, Marina. 
And I want to just dive in on a couple specific things that you mentioned. I'll go backwards. I'll start with reaching out to writers and editors. Keeping that connection personal is going to be what gets you noticed by that person that you're trying to, to contact and have them get the word out about your art, whether it's for a show or just you want to be getting your art more recognized in general. I think it's always best to pick out exactly who your top prospects are and then make it personal with them versus finding every single writer known to humans and just sending out a blanket you know, email trying to, to get the word out about it. Because if someone's reaching out and because I, I, I receive them as, you know, being the director of an art fair, I receive emails from someone's, you know, uh, publicist or something like that. And it's just, it feels so disconnected to what it is that, that I do. I'm like, this is obviously a blanket email. So just take the time to really hone in who are, you know, the most connected writers who's already written about a show at this gallery and really focus in on them and, and take the time to make that personal instead of having so many prospects that you, you couldn't possibly make every single one personal without taking up all your time doing that. And then you don't make art. And then going back to what you were saying about social media, the way that I like to look at it is, you know, you're almost like, uh, one of many, many, many partners for a social media company like Instagram. So everyone always talks about like, oh, what's the secret to like getting into Instagram's algorithm, right? Well, think about what Instagram wants to accomplish. When they're pushing a new feature like Reels, well, they want people to be using Reels. They're trying to make something stick. So in terms of what's best to do for Instagram, think what's going to make Instagram as the platform happy, if that makes sense. So you know, reels right now is the thing that's that's trending and, and what they're really trying to push. And then besides that, Instagram functions by people connecting with each other. So if you're constantly just pushing your own stuff, that might be a disconnect. You're not strengthening the networks of Instagram. You're just putting your own content out there. So, you know, reaching out to someone else, being social with social media is going to mean that you are strengthening Instagram as a platform. You're solidifying its roots, if that makes sense. And that means that Instagram is going to like what you're doing and its algorithm, so to speak, will respond well to it. So I really like those two points that you mentioned about like right now using Reels when we're recording this podcast that's relevant right now. And then just like reaching out to collectors, galleries, uh, curators, and so forth, other artists, and just getting them to feature your work, aggregator pages. Uh, it's important that when you're engaging with people on social media, that you're not overstepping their boundaries. And that would mean like if you message a gallery director and out of nowhere say, hey, I would love to invite you for a studio visit. That's a little bit imposing. And I don't recommend doing something like that. I just want you to know that people generally are nice. And they want to help you. So if you are nice to them online, let's say there's a gallery that you're really interested in, don't message them because it's too imposing and it's um, they might not respond or they might just say no because they get a lot of these, you know, it's unsolicited. So it's a little bit weird. The thing I would do is I would share their posts and your stories and say, wow, loving this exhibition at you know, Gagosian or whatever, right? Um, 
just so that they get a chance to notice you and really genuinely comment on their posts. And that way, it's like you're tapping them on your sh- on their shoulder and saying, hey, look at my Instagram profile. And they will look at your profile and see what your your little mini portfolio, because that's what you're showing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's that's a topic that comes up pretty frequently on the podcast is just how to appropriately connect with people, right? I mean, I was just mentioning how like you should make Instagram happy. Well, you also do have to think about the people who are using the platform and you want to make sure that uh, you're not overstepping boundaries with them either. I think a really good tip for that, right? I mean, there there's some galleries out there who help build their own Instagram platform by featuring artists that they don't necessarily show. So if you think that your work aligns well with the type of art that they like featuring, then absolutely what Marina is saying, you should um, you should absolutely try and like, like gently get their attention first, make that connection, be social with them before you're asking something of them. I, I think that's, that's very smart. Um, and also in that case, you know, just one thing that pops in my mind that I would really pay attention to is I am just kind of browsing like, oh, who, who recently liked my work or who commented on it. If the person has a really interesting profile picture on Instagram, I do click based on the profile picture. So like starting with these foundational elements like that is super key. It sounds so simple, right? Your profile picture. People always obsess like, oh, you know, should I change my profile picture? I mean, think about that being the very first impression that someone has of you. And it is important. But that actually leads into my next question. I, we've we've kind of touched on it uh, quite a bit, Marina. But if you have any other tips for making the most out of your Instagram feed, what would you say are some of the things that artists should really pay attention to? Ooh. Well, you know, we touched on it because we're being on brand, right? <laughs> uh, so, okay, here's a couple of tips. And Number one, James is absolutely right. You want to make sure that your profile picture is enticing. And my first suggestion about that is make sure it's clear that you're an artist in your profile picture. Because when people follow another artist, you might come up as a suggestion for them. And all they see is your username, your profile picture, and the follow button. And it's easy when they see something they like in the profile picture to just click follow or just click on your profile picture. So yes, that's important. Number two, make sure that your bio clearly explains that you're an artist and, you know, maybe you do a wide variety of things as an artist. Maybe you do um, painting, sculpture, performance. You want to make sure that that's on the first line of your bio. You also might want to say where you live or where you're located, like New York, New York, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Twin Cities rather, right? You want to put your location as well, because that is a way for people to connect with you. They're going to say, oh, wow, I'm also in Minnesota, and I would love to do a studio visit because I'm opening up a gallery there, you know, or I'm passing through and I'm looking for artists, right? The next thing that you want to do is make sure you have your website in your bio so that people can click on it. 
And on your website, there is a little freebie for you that's not Instagram related. On your website, you want to make sure that you're collecting people's emails. So it's okay to have a cute little pop-up that says sign up for updates. Or maybe you want to be more playful with the wording there. The next thing, back to your Instagram, is you want to make sure that your feed does not feature much other than your artwork, right? So your grid, like those permanent posts on your Instagram should really just be your artwork and a variety of different ways of looking at it. Videos, installation images. Every time you sell something, you want to say that in the caption because if something is sold and you put it in the caption, it gives people the idea that they can buy stuff without being too direct about buy for me, you know? So they see that other people are buying your work on Instagram. They're going to feel more comfortable buying your work. So show them what's sold. And also what you want to do is all that personal stuff that I'm telling you to not include on your grid, put in your stories because people love to know what you're all about. People want to connect with you based on who you are and your personal interests. So put that in your stories. It's a wonderful place for people to get to know you, to trust that you're a real person, and to get more comfortable buying your work and working with you. I think that's such a great trifecta of uh, of tips for Instagram. And it, it sounds like we were on the same page about the profile picture. It really is just start with the basics. I mean, don't skip these things and, and try to get too crafty or tricky about it. Again, you know, Instagram is designed to be used a certain way. Sometimes being a little more simpler about it is going to be the thing that gets you where you're trying to get with it. Bio location, you know, having the website in your bio, it's a really good place for, you know, if someone is just scrolling on Instagram and you know, they, they really like your work and they go to your website, your website is your own space. That is, you know, not an amalgamation of a bunch of artists. That's your website. So it's really good to get someone there because then they're only thinking about you instead of enjoying your work for the couple of seconds that they see it on Instagram. And I, I love what you were saying about the feed as well. And just that distinction between your, your Instagram feed and your Instagram story as a place to just show you know, art on your feed and art selling and the process behind your art, all of the things that are just directly about your art and then letting the story make it richer and more personal, a little more fun. Uh, that's really what's going to make someone just really liking interacting with you on social media. And then you'll become top of mind. Oftentimes when you're active on your story and uh, people really like seeing what you you put, your little icon shows up first all the time. And so it's it's a really good way just to keep top of mind when you know someone's following thousands of, of accounts on Instagram, you can be one of those top like five that they actually pay attention to. That's really great, Marina. This has been all so amazing. We like wrapping it up just with one more word of advice, maybe something that has come up while we've been chatting or, you know, just what is the last thing that you want an artist to be walking away with, thinking about and acting on for the next step of their career? Mm, You know, as artists, you are always looking 
and you're always creating something that you want us to look at. So my ultimate bit of advice here is keep us looking. Whether it comes to your Instagram feed and you just want to give us something that's going to keep us looking, like a beautiful time-lapse video or a video that is very satisfying to watch and maybe you're applying varnish to your painting, something like that, right? Those are so satisfying. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, or on your website, we are greeted with a video of you walking through your beautiful studio, right? Whatever it is, just keep us looking. And that's my ultimate bit of advice for you all. I love that. Keep us looking. I, I, I think that says it all. Thank you so much, Marina. That was wonderful. And to all of you business artists out there, Marina has been here just sharing her amazing perspective. I would say you're maybe the like the all-star veteran uh, <laughs> guest that we've worked with. I always love having you on the show, Marina. You can listen to this and all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. If you want to connect with Marina, you can follow her at the underscore artist underscore advisory on Instagram and visit www.theartistadvisory.com. Both of those will be in the show notes as well. As always, remember that we are at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share whenever you're listening to or enjoying the artist business plan. And we're also really excited about our upcoming fair schedule, which includes in-person shows in Seattle, New York, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, San Francisco, and yes, even Miami Beach. We are coming back. You will be hearing more about that soon. To find out more about how to apply and exhibit with Superfine, drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world, and one of our team members will be right back with you. You can also visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art to learn more about the value we offer artists just like yourselves. And once again, we'd really appreciate it if you could take just a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews are so, so critical in helping other artist entrepreneurs just like yourselves find us. And of course, we love reading your amazing comments too. And as always, I'd like to end the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. The quote is, motivation is the art of getting people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. And that is Dwight D. Eisenhower. Marina, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective with our audience. Thank you so much for having me here. And I'm always happy to come back. It is my happy place here. <laughs> Marina, I am sure it will not be the last time. Uh, everyone, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, 
just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.